Thanks for tuning in to the Banner Church Podcast, recorded live in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. For more information, visit banner.church today. Enjoy the message. Well, it is an honor uh, to, to pastor here at Banner Church. God has been so good, and we talk about it all the time. What a, what a blessing this church is. If you're new here, I just want to encourage you. came to a place where, where the people are a blessing, and uh, you know, we, we've talked about, I've had pastors ask me, like, how did you guys survive the past couple of years? And I was like, honestly, we just have good people. Like, we have some awesome people here. Uh, if you want to know some good people, I definitely encourage you. It's never too late to join a small group. Be a part of knowing some good people. Um, man, it, it, it's a blessing. It's a blessing to be a part of. I'm really excited to share with you guys today uh, as we continue our Church on Fire uh, series. We're looking at the book of Acts. And I thought really the best way we could start today would um, would be jumping into Acts chapter 3. But before we do that, I want to encourage you, as we've been believing great things, not only through Kingdom Builders, which is our, uh, our, our generosity fund and believing God to do work around the world, but also here, as we've been praying and believing... Uh, our prayer team said, man, we need more intentional times of prayer. And so they've created this really cool digital 24-hour prayer room. So rather than coming here and being, it's, it's all um, via, I think, like a, a Zoom kind of thing, digital thing they're putting together. So they have a sign-up for that. We have a slide, actually, that there's a little QR code. I don't even know if that's scannable from wherever you are. But uh, you can sign up there or online. And our goal is to have 120 slots uh, filled of people. So when you go on there, you might see someone signed up for a slot, but there's like 10 available, or there's, uh, nope, there's five available, because that's how numbers work, I think. Am I doing my math right? Someone tell me later. I don't know. Um, but we have a lot of slots available, because we really long for the Lord to be in this next season like never before, and so we want to prioritize prayer. So I really encourage you, be a part of that. But I thought one of the best ways we could start this, and I want to jump right in, is by looking at the scripture together in Acts chapter 3. So I want to read this over you. The words will be on the screen, and just, just receive the word of God this morning, and we'll walk through it together. That, that's the sound of a baby having a good time, not a bad time, in case you're concerned. I, it does sound like a possum, but that is someone's child, I assure you. I don't know whose that is, but your child sounds like a possum. Uh, Acts chapter 3. I'm sure they're the love of your life. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom... Okay. My kid's pastor, you take care of that. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple. We're just going to power through and let the word of God minister to that child. That is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of the, those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled at wonder and amazement at what had happened. Amen? The Lord is good? 
If you guys ever wonder, like, why do we give towards Kingdom Builders? Because we need a new building <laughs> where our kid space is not immediately behind our stage, right? Uh, but honestly, the, the Word of God is good, and it's alive, and I want to spend some time walking through this together, but I thought the best time is uh, to begin is just to pray together, so let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to gather and uh, to read your Word. God, we thank you for the blessing of being a church family. And God, I pray that as we walk through this, that you would be with us and speak to our heart. In your name, amen. So Acts chapter 1, we've been in this series called Church on Fire. Acts chapter 1, we talked about expectation, about how the disciples were given this really huge mission. It's like, go throughout the whole earth, which is a big deal. And they're like, but... Uh, Jesus said, wait, because I'm going to send the Spirit, because I don't want you to try to do this by your own power. And then in Acts 2, we read that the Holy Spirit came upon them, and we had Pentecost, and we saw the Holy Spirit begin to move through them, and they witnessed, and it said 3,000 people were added to their number that day. Pretty amazing. You preach a sermon, 3,000 people get saved. That's, that's a pretty fire sermon. But the Holy Spirit was moving through them, but now we're in Acts chapter 3, and we want to look at going with the Spirit. So the whole section of Acts 3 and really the whole rest of Acts is basically what happens when we go. What happens when we are, we, we've waited on the Spirit, we prayed, the Holy Spirit has come, and now we're filled with the Spirit and we go. Church, if we do anything in this series, my encouragement and my hope and my desire for us as a church is that we would begin to see ourselves as vessels who are filled up to pour out. Not filled up to just kind of sit in the corner, stagnant, but filled up to be poured out, that you have great purpose, that you have great purpose as a believer, as someone who knows the Lord, as someone who has received the hope and healing of Jesus Christ, and who has received the Holy Spirit, that you haven't filled up so that you can pour out. I don't know if you've ever filled up a, a, a bucket of water here. I, I had in my garden all these buckets of water at our old house. And, uh, well, they were just buckets, but then the monsoon came, and then they became buckets full of water. And what happened, though, is after a while, if I didn't use that water, mosquitoes and all sorts of weird stuff start growing on it, right? Like, water's amazing. It's life-giving. But would you drink that water? Maybe on a bet. <laughs> Austin's like, no. Uh it's when it, when it stays stagnant, it has a problem, right? It's not meant to be stagnant. It's meant to be flowing. It's, me, it's most meant to be filled up and poured out, filled up and poured out. That's what keeps it from being stagnant. I think a lot of the diseases in the church, so to speak, if I can use the analogy continuously, come from being stagnant. We were created to be filled up to pour out, but if we become stagnant, we begin to miss something beautiful that God has created us and empowered you to do we got to see ourselves as vessels filled up to go out. Somebody say, go out. Go out. Go out. Let's, look at, let's go back. Let's look at verse 1 together. It says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. So this is about 3 in the afternoon. There's a time at the end of, of the day called the Tamid, which is the final sacrifice. And so in this setting, the temple would have actually been packed full of people. It would have been like one of its most full points because it was a crucial, crucial sacrifice at the end of the day. And though it's not a sermon point or a slide or anything, I love how we will see continuously in Acts that the disciples lived purposefully. 
As a disciple of Jesus Christ, we get to live with purpose. You were created on purpose. You were created for a purpose. And no matter your physical capacity, no matter your mental capacity, you have been given heavenly capacity and heavenly purpose. Regardless of what you feel like physically you can do or how capable you feel or mentally how capable you feel, the reality is if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been given the Holy Spirit, so you have been given heavenly capacity. And that should give us a little bit of uh, reassurance and peace, amen? You've been given a heavenly purpose. What's our purpose? To spread the hope of Jesus Christ. So the disciples, all throughout Acts, you know, you kind of see this internal conversation of, okay, what's our mission? Well, our mission is to get the gospel to the world. How do we do that? Well, we have to go where people are, right? We have to go where the people are. I think so often we live in this tension. I don't know if you're like me, but I live in the tension of what I call the garden and the gutter all the time is that as a human being who was created to live in Eden with, with the Lord and to walk with him, I feel a constant longing to like just want to be alone in nature, right? Does anyone ever feel that just like to be in the garden, to be in that space? For some of you, it might not be nature. Some of us, we build like a little pseudo Eden in suburbia, like a safe home or a nice place. It's not, not to put any of these things down. Like we have this longing inside of us for a peaceful place. But then we have this other part of us where we're called and commanded by God to go to the hurting and broken, to go into the gutter. And so we live in this tension of garden and gutter, I feel like, constantly. And, 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 and it manifests in generations differently. In the, in the boomer generation, it was, it was the building of, of safe homes and places and, and, and working in, in, in strong uh, work environments that built a place that was Eden-like. In this next generation, it's like anybody who gets a chicken is a homesteader. It's like, no, you just have a garden box. You're not homesteading, right? But we have this drawing. But at the same time, we have this call to be in the, the places that need the hope of Jesus Christ, Right? That, that we're not at our best abandoned for people. We're at our best being around and supporting and encouraging. And we live in that tension. But we're called to be purposeful. And, the, and Jesus Christ lived in that space. He was in the garden, right? But he was also in the gutter. And he was also filled with the Spirit. And so the disciples are walking and living intentionally. They're walking. They say, okay, I'm going to go to the places that need Jesus Christ. That need the hope of Jesus. And so... They go to the temple. I think sometimes we have this very Western methodology of, well, I'll just wait around until someone sees that, uh, you know, I'm Christian. We're almost rooting for tragedy. Like, if things get bad enough, then they'll come and see. But we are called to go. We're called to go out. We're called to go into the crowd. Church, we need people who, regardless of their capacity— physically, mentally, regardless of what the world says your capacity is, we'll go into the crowd and bring the hope of Jesus. Are you with me? What miracles might we see? What might break out? What kind of fruit would that obedience to God produce? What might come to life? So the disciples go to the house of the Lord. How many of you know it's good to go to the house of the Lord? I know we have this modern mantra, like, it's not a, it's not a building, it's a collection of people. Well, since the beginning of the church, a collection of people met in a building <laughs> on a specific day, and that was pretty common. And when they couldn't go to the temple, they went to synagogue. When they couldn't go to the synagogue, they met in houses. When they couldn't meet in houses, they met in tombs. And then when they could meet in a bigger building, they met in a bigger building. That's how it worked from the beginning. It's tradition. 
But it's good to go to the house of the Lord. And so they go up, and the temple is packed, and they're walking towards one of the gates, Peter and John are. And it says in verse 2, if you're still with me, say amen. It says, a man lame from birth was being carried. This is a man whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that's called a beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. It says, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. I, I like this. This is a guy who they normally see at the temple. Right now he's being carried. They're all going up to the temple together. He notices them and he asks them for alms. This is just a random, this is such a random moment, right? It's not like they were, they planned this moment. They're like, all right, we're going to intersect this guy on his journey. It wasn't like the Italian job. They weren't mapping out routes. They were on their way to do something, and then they were interrupted by this guy, right? I love that because often our most divine interactions happen in the middle of the mundane moments. And I want to encourage you that when you are filled with the Spirit, wherever you go is a mission field. When you're filled with the Spirit, wherever you go is a mission field. Wherever you go is an opportunity to share Jesus. There is not a school. There is not a workplace. There is not a family that's like, yeah, we're all good. The world is perfect and everything's great. Never found one, right? It's like everything's perfect. Yes, we have all the joy and hope and peace we could ever need. We don't need any more peace in our family. We don't need any healing in our family. We don't need any breakthrough in our family. Thank you. We're okay, right? Everywhere you go, there is an opportunity for ministry because the world is super broken, right? Some of you aren't sure. The answer is yes. <laughs> You're like, no, that seems all right to me. It's pretty broken. <laughs> and often we ask these questions. We're like, where is God calling me? People ask me that all the time. Pastor, where is God calling me? And I say, where do you work? So oh, I work here. He's calling you there. Then, Where is God calling me? Where do you live? He's calling you there. Where is God calling me? Name some people in your family. Ba, 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 ba. Billy and John and Joan. and Great, there. There's your harvest field. As Christians, we overcomplicate it. And we begin like pushing down the cornfield to like stand up and look to find the harvest. Right? We're like, where's the harvest? I can't see it through all of this harvest. <laughs> right? It's like it's, it's right where you are. Because the beauty of being filled with the Spirit is wherever you go is a mission field. Wherever you go is an opportunity to bring peace. Not perfection, not your perfection. Not you being perfect, but the peace of Jesus Christ. So it says, the man was seeking alms. It said that, man was seeking alms. Well, in the afternoon, Tamid, it's the final stage of temple worship, uh, devout people would very intentionally come to express devotion to God. So they would come and and beggars would try to catch them on their way in. Beggars would, would try to catch these devout people coming to express devotion to God. They'd try to catch them on their way in. And one of the main reasons is because that rabbis taught the Jewish people at the time there were three pillars of Judaism. There was the Torah, which was the law and the books of the law. Then there was worship, the worship of God. And then there was kindness through charity. And almsgiving, giving money to the poor, was one of the main ways to show charity. And the beggars knew this. And so they would strategically wait before the last church service of the day just in case no one 
had given alms and they would get them all at the end of the day so people would be right with God, which that's just called market penetration, right? That's just good strategy, right? It's like, okay, people are going to be feeling guilty that they haven't given to God. They're about to go stand before God. There's about to be a sacrifice, kind of think strategic placement, right? It's why they sell waters going into the stadium, right? Because you've just walked 18,000 blocks in 100 degrees and you need a water. It's the same, same principle right? And it says that he sat by a gate called Beautiful. Now, the likelihood, is if you went and looked for a gate named Beautiful, you, you would struggle to find it. But the gate called Beautiful is very likely based off of uh, the, the descriptions of not only in Scripture, but of Joseph as some of the historians. One of the, the gates leading into the temple yard, and one of the gates uh, on the eastern side is they were coming in. It says they're going up to the temple. And when we read the history of the temple, specifically in Josephus as he writes about uh, that, that area, talks about 10 gates leaning in. Nine of them were covered in silver and gold. But one of the gates was so beautiful that it was not overlaid in silver and gold. It was left as Corinthian bronze because it was so beautiful and ornately designed. So in the world of Olympic medals, bronze is low. But in the world of temple gates, bronze is high. And so they left this gate because it was so beautiful and ornate. And the contrast of these things should not be lost on us. That here you have a man, a layman from birth, who is crippled from birth, who is sitting outside a beautiful and ornate and incredible doorway. And that's all of the temple he will ever experience. Because of his disability, he's not engaging inside the temple. He will not experience that. He's sitting outside of the gate hoping to just get some kind of like cast off provision of religious guilt. And every day, religious people walk past him through beautiful gates into the temple. All he can think to hope for is, you know, some kind of charity or, or some money or some finite provision. But he has never been in. He's not experienced it. He doesn't believe that's for him. He's sitting out in, outside of the temple gates. I wonder, let's say today in the scope of the church in America maybe, how many church people pass through beautiful doors each week, all while broken people who feel like they are not welcome are sitting outside. How many people that proclaim to be the hands and feet of Jesus have stepped over the very people Jesus came to be with so that they might walk through beautiful doors? It's about me. It's about what me and God. It's about what I get from God. And I wonder how many people have walked through beautiful gates past people. How many people said, I'm the hands and feet of Jesus, have used those very feet to step over the very people Jesus would step down to be with? Matthew 25 tells us that Jesus, when, when he calls his sheep to him, will say, when I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was sick, you visited me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And they'll say, when did we see you in prison? When did we see you sick? When did we see you naked and clothe you? And he said, that what you did for the least of these, you did unto me. And then he'll turn to the others and he'll say, right? Come on, if you know what I'm about to say, you got that little like, hmm. 
Say, you did it. And they'll say, when did we see you? And he said, that which you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. There's something powerful and we long for here at Banner is that we're called to go, we're called to meet, we're called to encounter the hurting. And at all different capacities and abilities, everyone has different physical and mental abilities and capacities to go. But hear me say, our heart and our intent should be for those who are hurting and broken. Whether that be those who are in our own congregation, or whether that be those who are sitting at the doors who feel like they're not welcome in. The disciples of Jesus Christ are called to go. Hear, hear me say that. Hear the non-optionalness in the tone of my voice. <laughs> the disciples of Jesus are called to go. I don't want to go. Acts 3.3, 3, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. It says, and Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And the man, he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. What would be interesting at this time is most people wouldn't want to touch this person who's a beggar because he was likely ritually unclean under Judaism. And so they wouldn't want to touch him because then they would be unclean and they couldn't go into the temple and be near God and they wanted to be near God. And so what they would do is they would toss them the coin uh, towards the beggar, which has to be the most condescending way you can give somebody money is by tossing it to them, right? If you see someone panhandling or something and you, I don't know, you feel compelled to do that, that's up to you. But if you drive by and just throw it at them, that somehow negates the money you gave them. I don't know what the rule is, but that's condescending enough that you should not do that. Uh, I mean, you probably should do that anyways. You can give to organizations that are helping people. But if you feel led, whatever, just don't throw it at them. And so there's a moment where most people would just toss it to him as their way in to check the box. But I love this that it says Peter saw him and he says to him, like, look at me, right? Look at me. And that's a powerful moment because Peter stopped doing what he was doing to have an encounter with this person that realistically very few people cared about. It interrupted his moment. And you could say that Peter was a very important person, right? He had important stuff to do, right? Oh, Peter, on you, I'm going to build the church. But here he is interrupted in the moment. And he could have said, listen, I can't talk to you, man. I, gotta, I got things to do. I got to go in the temple. I got bigger things that got to get done. But what I love is Peter is being led by the Spirit. And what happens is we're led by the Spirit is that God will often move in times we would have otherwise deemed unimportant. And God will often do important work in people the world has deemed unimportant. Some of us are here this morning because we are those very unimportant people that God did an important work because someone allowed the Lord to interrupt their schedule to intersect our life with the Holy Spirit. Amen? And what's crazy is sometimes we get so busy working for God that we forget to walk with God, to be led by Him. It's in the mundane. It's in the sharing of hope while washing dishes. It's in the interruption at the grocery store. It's with the family member that drives you crazy so no one actually listens to them, but you take the time to listen to them. It's with the guy that other people think smells weird and looks odd and says words that you don't really like your kids hearing. That's where Jesus is. Can I tell you? Sometimes you're like, I, I feel so far from God. Then go where God is moving. 
Go where Jesus is. And Jesus has always been found with the hurting and broken. He's always been found with the low of status and stature. He's always been found with the weary. Go where Jesus is. That's where he is, church. He's not in the steeples. He's in the streets. He's with the hurting and the broken. And so Peter says, look at me. And I'm sure the guy's like, okay, I'm expecting something good. Because when religious people make a show of something, they're about to give some money. Right? <laughs> like they wrote in, they brought their A-frame signs. He's ready to go. About to get some cash, maybe some shoes. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to get a $20 bill. I don't know what's going to happen here. This is pretty good. He's like, okay, he's putting on a show. Everyone's here. This guy seems pretty spiritual. Let's see how this goes, right? And here's what he says, verse 6. Peter said, I have no silver and gold. Okay, that's immediately a letdown. Right? Like, bro, that's literally why I'm here. Like, I don't know if you know how begging works, but you give me money, and then you feel good before God, and then you go inside. That's how this works. Uh, (laughs) I don't know what else you have. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Okay, so the first part bummed him out, but the second part lifted him up, both literally and figuratively, right? Man, church, there's some things I want to share with you, and not because I don't think that that God has blessed you, not because I don't think we have an amazing church, and not because I I don't think that you're walking with the Lord. But I think we... The road has been weary for many of you, and so you settled for less. You've been discouraged and frustrated, and... uh, Sorry, I'm getting a spam call. You've been discouraged and frustrated, and so you've You've allowed yourself to step back from the possibility of the Lord. And I, I feel like if I can do anything, I want to encourage you today. So here, let me give you some encouragements when you go. You ready? When you go. When you go, you bring the greatest gift imaginable. Hear me. When you go, you bring the greatest gift imaginable. The greatest gift we can offer is the hope of Jesus Christ. Peter says, I I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have is Jesus Christ. I have everything his name means. I have hope. I have healing. I have freedom. And he speaks healing over him in the most profound, bold moment. Church, systems are great. I love systems. I love that we have good systems here. It's how we keep this place safe. It's how we organize. It's how we have great groups. It's how we have an incredible kids ministry and youth ministry. Systems are great, but we can't steward what we have not harvested. Systems are a stewardship tool, but we can't steward what we haven't harvested, and we can't reap what we don't sow. And we can't harvest if we don't go out into the field and harvest. Hear me, the world does not need more money. We can keep printing it. It's not going to solve any more problems. The world needs Jesus. We need Jesus. We don't need more physical answers. We don't need more, uh, more tests and more issues and more personality profiles. We need Jesus Christ to bring deliverance. We need supernatural healing where the doctor says no and God says yes. We need the radical transformation of hearts where a marriage is crumbling but God miraculously restores. That's what the Holy Spirit sent us to bring. That's what the Holy Spirit sent us for. 
Your family needs someone who's bold enough to say, I don't have the earthly power to fix this brokenness, but I have a heavenly father who's given me heavenly power to bring you deliverance. And the great thing is, you might not feel capable, and you might not feel qualified, but you have been anointed by the Holy Spirit. And where you go, hope goes. Where you go, peace goes. Where you go, freedom goes. See, I don't know if, I, if I'm capable. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. We're not, but God is. And that's the greatest gift you can give somebody. Yes, we solve financial issues. Yes, we help pay bills. Yes, we care for others. Yes, we reach out. Yes, we, yes we, are, we are benevolent and generous. But the goal is that we're doing so in order to build bridges so the gospel might be shared because it's the gospel that gives eternal life. It's Jesus Christ that brings hope and healing. Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. You have something to give somebody today. You have something to give somebody today. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. In the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, you might not know this, but the name of Jesus has power. When we speak the name of Jesus, what we're doing is speaking by the authority of Jesus Christ. Church, Jesus has given you power and authority by his name. So not only when you go, do you go with the greatest gift? When you go, you go with the power of God. Man, I'm here to, to speak into someone today who feels like they are not enough and that they are missing the mark. I'm here to tell you God has given you power and authority. That when you go, you go with the power of God. The Holy Spirit within you is the power to complete the mission through you. I love it. Peter prays in the name of Jesus. And when he prays in the name of Jesus, he's not just using it flippantly. He's speaking out and declaring in the authority because to speak out his name, it is the extension of his being and his personality. To invoke the name of Jesus is to call on his power and authority. Church, we need to go back to speak in the name of Jesus over people because when you speak the name of Jesus, there is freedom, there is healing, there is restoration. And he's not calling on the name of Jesus to just be random. He's calling on the name of Jesus to continue the ministry of Jesus. I love Matthew 15. It talks about Jesus and says this. It says, great crowds came to Jesus, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking and the crippled healthy and the lame walking and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Hear me, church, it's not your authority. It's Jesus' authority. It's not by your power. It's by the Holy Spirit's power. And it's time to recognize that, that, that God has given you power and authority. He has given you power and authority. When you go with the Spirit, you go with the power that comes through the Holy Spirit. Man, I think we've resigned ourselves to so many things. Well, I want to pray for them to be healed, but like, you know, they, I want to believe that they could, but I don't know. I want to... Man, did you know that we can pray for the restoration of minds and they'll be restored? For the restoration of bodies and they'll be healed. For the restoration of marriages and they'll be mended. For the restoration of hearts. We can pray and there's power and healing. God's given you power to free others from darkness. You're like, me? Yes. Because the Holy Spirit, same Spirit. You know the same Holy Spirit that walked with Peter and prayed that prayer is with you right now. Not a different one, not a lesser one. Same, same Holy Spirit. He 
Like he's a he. The Holy Spirit's a he. Holy Spirit is with you. Same one. So I want to encourage you, when you go, God moves. Hear me. When you go, God moves. Human nature is like, well, if I go and nothing happens, I'm going to look dumb. <laughs> but that's not the call. You're not called to look smart or dumb. You're called to go. You're called to go. And the Holy Spirit moves. When you go, God moves. I love what happens in verse 7. It says, he took him, Peter took him by the right hand and raised him up. I love that because he touched him, right? There's someone who, 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 if he, you know, touched him, there's an issue of cleanliness and purity and all these kind of things. He touched him, and it says, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. I love all the miracles and the movement. If you read the Gospels, you'll notice that the miracle is usually in the hand. It's in the movement. It's in the healing touch. It's in the lifting. It's in the breaking of bread and handing it to somebody. When did the bread multiply? When they handed it. That's the scariest possible moment. Also, there's no scarier possible moment healing someone who's lame than physically lifting them up because a lot's riding on those leg muscles, right? Right? I mean, that, I mean, we don't know. I mean, maybe he can begin to see it, but I think a lot of that is in that moment of faith where he stood up, where he lifts him up. He says he commands in the name of Jesus. He's speaking supernaturally over him. He lifts him up because if he doesn't get healed, what's going to happen? <laughs> right, that's going to be a bad show for the church, right? Can't be messing with crippled people outside the temple. Word's going to get around. <laughs> it's just mean-spirited. What does he do? He believes in faith. It's led by the Spirit. Divine encounter, he lifts him up. One of my uh, heroes of the faith is a man named Reinhard Bonnke. He's recently passed away, uh, but he's an incredible evangelist. You can go look up his, uh, his sermons. I, I've, I've read a lot of his books, and he was uh, born again at the age nine. He pastored in Germany. Uh, he was called to Africa in the 60s, and uh, he talks about in one of his books that he flew into the Soto, Africa, which is like in the heart of South Africa. If you know anything about the 60s in South Africa, you know, a lot of stuff was going on. And uh, flies in the Soto, and he gets out, and he sees a stadium, and the stadium is empty. He's just being used to house, like, food and all kinds of stuff, munitions, all kinds of crazy stuff he talks about. And the Lord says, hey, I want you to just rent the stadium and speak. Mind you, German guy, Africa. So he says, okay. So he rents the stadium, starts getting these pastors, local pastors or people together to preach, to just preach out. Do you know that it's estimated that Reinhard Bonnke, in his ministry, that over 79 million people came to Christ because of Reinhard Bonnke's ministry. 79 million. That's the entire population of Germany. That's two Canadas, guys. 79 million people. That's amazing. And when you hear him preach, he's like the most humble dude. Like, he, he was so humble. He passed away. He's got some mansion in heaven. He's amazing. And uh, I watched his, uh, I watched his, one of his um, ra rally, I don't know what he would call it, movements, whatever it was. And there's this amazing moment because it's full of local pastors. You know, they only count a salvation. Not, there's no hand raise. You have to fill out a card. It's given to a local pastor and they follow up and that's how they know. That's like real numbers. That's not even Western Church Easter numbers. Those are real numbers, right? Like that's not pretending. That's for real. And uh, I watched one that had 400,000 people at it. And literally, the, it, like the drone keeps going back. And you think, surely, 
surely that's it. It just keeps going back as far and as far as possible. And I just say that to say I love seeing what God does through people who are willing, who people are open. And there's this amazing shot where he's preaching and he's like, we're going to pray for healing. And like, Basically, there's an Africa guy preaching, and he's kind of there, and he'll say a couple things. And then there's just a worship band playing the whole time. And then people come up, and they just start throwing, like, wheelchairs. There's, like, a, there's like a bonfire-sized thing of wheelchairs. People are dancing in the front. They've been healed. It's absolutely amazing. And, uh, but when you read about him, he's very much, uh, uh, he was very much a believer in the work of the Holy Spirit. It's like, this is why. This is why. It's the Holy Spirit. And he said a couple things I wanted to share with you. There's some quotes that have really rang true in my life, and... I wanted to share this with you, if that's okay today. Good. He says, anyone can believe when God is already moving. But real faith is when you step out when it seems that God is not moving. Real faith is when you step out when it seems that God is not moving. Anyone ever experienced that? Amen. It says, Jesus will lift you out of the deepest pit, but he will not lift you out of your easy chair. If you're doing nothing... God doesn't need to give you any help in doing nothing. Go out and do something impossible for Jesus, and God will be with you. The gospel is good news, not good history, because when it's preached, it happens. The Holy Spirit is a healing spirit. When the Holy Spirit is present, anything is possible. And this last one, I want you to hear the, the sentiment here. It says, God always works with the workers and moves with the movers, but, but he does not sit with the sitters. Now, what he's not saying, I'll have to summarize since he's not here to speak for himself. He's not saying that God does not sit and dwell and rest with those who are hurting and broken. What he says, believers who are called to great things, he says, why would I play with marbles when God has called me to move mountains? He says, God's called you to great things. He's called you to move and to go. This is called a movement, not a stagnant the church is a movement. It's the way. It's the way. That implies movement. That implies going. That implies following. They were followers of the way. Both of those words imply you're moving. This is not a stagnant of the concrete. It's the way. Those who follow. Did you know that? That you're a movement? That God has called you, anointed, and gifted you? Verse 9 says, all the people saw him walking and praising God, this man who was lifted up, and they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. It says, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I love this because the miracle's undeniable, right? Like, he's there. He's present. This is amazing. Miracles are a testimony, right? If there's a miracle and you're like, listen, I know this guy. Some of you, your life is a miracle. People look at you and they go, mm, I knew that person. Something has changed. What is that thing that has changed that has caused you to be that way? Some of you, your marriage is a miracle. My, my parents' marriage is a miracle of God. They're celebrating their anniversary today that or this, this weekend. That is a miracle of God. It is because, like, if you knew and then you knew, you would go, what, what, what happened? Jesus happened. Jesus happened. That's the beautiful thing about miracles. Listen increasingly more no one is looking for church they're looking for god they're looking for something supernatural and we and the world is looking in all these weird super weird ways and super self-aggrandizing ways but the reality is that 
in our hearts, everyone is looking for God, and we need to see God move. We need to see God stir, and the beautiful thing is you are a part of that ministry that God could do it himself, but he looks at us and says, man, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. How awesome is that? He created the universe. Don't you think he could spread the gospel on his own? But he's like, I want you to be a part of it. I want you to be blessed by it. I want you to be renewed by it. When we go, God moves. When we go, God moves. Hear me. When we go, God moves. I want to read some scripture to you just in this last part. It's not on the slides, but I just want you to receive it this morning here. It says, while he clung to Peter and John. I love that. While he clung, to, he clung to Peter and John. If someone takes you from lame to standing, you're sticking with that guy, right? <laughs> like, you're a safe bet, homie. We're together. We are best friends, right? <laughs> like, I don't know. I got, a, I got another pain in my back you can hit later. Like, let's just get, I need, <laughs> I need some money in the bank, whatever it might be, right? Like, you're sticking with that guy. It says, he clung to Peter and John. He's exciting. He's celebrating, right? And it says, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. They're in the temple now. And it says, Peter saw it, he addressed the people. And I love this, because they're in the temple of the presence of God, and yet they're shocked God is moving. Isn't that ironic? Like, I wonder what could have done this. Like, bro, you're at temple. That's like where he lives, right? Like, if you're Jewish, you're like, this is where God lives. Who could have done this, right? <laughs> Peter says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we made him walk? So the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release them. It says you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. It's a strong sermon. And you killed the author of life. Peter preaches strong sermons, in case you're wondering. It says, you killed the author of life whom God raised to the dead. To this we are witnesses. And is in his name, by faith in his name, this or has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. It says, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that is, Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. He says, repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that a time of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. I love this message that comes from Peter. He says, listen. You're so surprised, but this is the God you've been waiting for. You're in temple, praying that God would come. You've been praying for 1,500 years. You've just seen the work of God displayed, this confirming work. And they're like, how could this be? He's like, because though you killed Jesus, you were part of the plan. And Jesus rose again, rose again and he came to bring you new life. And he says in verse 1, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees, these are religious leaders, came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And it says in verse 3, this we do have on the screen, it says, they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. It says, but many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. Wow, indeed, that's bananas. Okay, first of all, 
I feel like that would be a success. If we end this service by our number going to 5,000, but I'm in jail, call it a net win, church, right? Let's call it a net. I will take that. God, don't test that theory, but if you need to, fine, just maybe like a Scottsdale jail. Pick a nice one, <laughs> right? Whatever. Honestly, I'd pick any jail in this city for 5,000 people to come to know Christ. My goodness, that is amazing, right? If I had to go to jail every day after service, gladly for 5,000 people to come to know the Lord and be in eternity, this is an amazing moment. In the world's eyes, that's a bad day, like your leader goes to jail. But in kingdom eyes, it's incredible. And this is the beauty is when you go, the kingdom grows. It might not look like how the world defines success, but when God moves, hearts are moved. When God moves, it's undeniable. The leaders didn't like the movement. They didn't accept Jesus, but there was something undeniable. Where these followers of Jesus went, profound supernatural things happened. You can pretend all you want. Oh, it's not real. But when the dude that everyone knows for 30 years couldn't walk is like wind sprinting across the temple, it's like, well, yeah, I don't know, right? Well, that's not real. That's independent fact checkers have said this guy's false, right? It's like, well, seems pretty real to me, right? He's running around. He's clinging to Peter and John. They have a new BFF. This is the beauty of the kingdom. When you go, the kingdom of God grows. The growth of the kingdom is in the movement of God's people. And the kingdom is built to grow. We are built to be a part of that. Can I encourage you, church, as the band comes forward? It's time to start moving like the kingdom. It's time to start moving like the kingdom. We're a movement. Like I said, we're not a stagnant. We're a movement. You're part of a movement. How did the gospel spread? How did the gospel spread? It spread by a move of the Spirit. There were no church planning initiatives. There was no, like, picking programs. I'm just find, trying to find some programs that work for me, programs that work for my kids. It was the Holy Spirit. How did the church grow? The Holy Spirit. It grew by the Holy Spirit. It stayed united by the Holy Spirit. It got through conflict by the Holy Spirit. They dealt with the difficulty of messy people by the Holy Spirit. It's all by the Holy Spirit. None of this would work without the Holy Spirit. It spread by a move of God. It didn't spread because it's like, wow, they had a great children's ministry. That's why the early church made it. I love our kids' ministry. I love it. They do an incredible job stewarding and coming alongside families. But how did the church grow? It grew by a move of the Spirit. They prayed, and then they went, and God moved. They prayed, and they went, and God healed People persecuted them. People came against them. People hurt them. They were discouraged, frustrated, beat down. They prayed, and then they went. They had a great victory. They celebrated. They prayed, and then they went. They came up against an obstacle that they could not come get, get over. They had people in prison. They prayed, and then they went. They prayed, and they went. Let me tell you the formula right now for our life and our mission as Banner Church. We pray, and we go. They prayed, and they went. One more time. They prayed, and they went. They prayed and they went. Church, we need to change the way we think. Because our movement needs to be evaluated according to sending capacity, not seeding capacity. Our movement needs to be evaluated based off those who would pray and go of 
building the kingdom, not just how much space we can take up, how many buildings we can have or seats we can have. Those are great fruits. Those are great ways to steward. I love the fruit of sending, right? Uh, the gathering. The gathering is the fruit of sending, right? We've gone out. Now we got to come together and pray and go out again. I love that. We want as much space to gather and go out as possible. But our criteria for success is not seating capacity. It's sending capacity. Will we go? Will we go? Some of us today, we need to change our criteria of what success looks like as a follower of Christ. We pray and we go, people will be set free. We pray and we go, lives are changed. We pray and we go, hope is restored. We pray and we go and life is renewed. We pray and we go. Some of you today are probably saying, man, I, I just literally don't know if I can do that. I, I, I don't know what's necessary, what's needed. I, I feel like I, I'm not the kind of person. I got stuff going on in my life. I got stuff in my past. And I just, uh, it's probably for somebody else. It's probably for somebody more spiritual. It's probably for somebody who has it more together. It's probably for somebody who's taking like a Bible class or some kind of like theology university. Don't worry. Peter didn't take any Bible classes. He sat under Jesus' leadership. He was led by the Lord. I, love, I get it. I have a master's in theology. I get Bible classes are great. But can I encourage you? Here's what scripture says about the disciples of Jesus Christ. Acts 4 verse 13 says, When the religious leaders, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. Okay, pause there. Not they thought them to be uneducated and common. They recognized that they were currently common and uneducated, right? Like, they were salt-of-the-earth people, common, uneducated people. Like, they perceived it. Like, these people are common. They're like, what is different? It says they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Put that on my tombstone. Been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. They saw the encounter with Jesus present in their life. And they saw the working of the Holy Spirit active through them. And they said, well, I guess we can't say anything against this. Hear me, your ability does not need to speak for you. Your past does not testify for you. Your struggles do not speak for you. The Holy Spirit speaks through you. The Holy Spirit moves through you. And it's the Holy Spirit that says, will you go? I'll move, will you go? All move, will you go? Yeah, but what about my past, Lord? What about what about what about my, my inabilities? He said, Listen, just be led by me. Wherever I call you, I'll equip you for. What about my limitations? What about my physical limitations or my mental limitations? Listen, there's no quota on this. Well, you gotta go to 15 people. It's just simply, will you be led by the Spirit as He leads? And in so doing, saying, Wherever you lead, I'll go and allow Him to move. Allow Him to move and the heavenly power that he's given you. But the question for us isn't what will be produced, but will we go? Will I go? Will I go? How many people do you think entered into that temple who knew all, the almighty God? Peter and John stopped. Will you be the many who entered or will you be Peter and John who said, okay, God, wherever you're leading, we'll follow. That's the question today. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to pray over you.
Some of you today, I, I, I just want to pray specifically. Maybe you've never received the Holy Spirit. And today you're saying, Holy Spirit, I need you to baptize me. I need to be filled with the Spirit. Maybe some of you, you, just like the disciples are at points, are weary and worn and like, like the disciples and apostles have had to pray, Holy Spirit, fill me. That you might be filled with the Spirit and be renewed by the Spirit. I love reading in Scripture when that happens, when those who are weary and worn pray and the Holy Spirit fills and the Holy Spirit moves. Some of you today, you just need that renewal. So whether that's you and you're here and maybe you're saying, Holy Spirit, I need you to baptize me, or Holy Spirit, I need you to fill me. If you're here and you're willing to say, God, I, I, I want to go. I'm willing to go for you into my family, into my workplace, wherever you lead, I'm willing to go, but I need to go with your spirit, not my might, not my ability, not my power, not my past, not my pedigree, but by you, Holy Spirit. If that's you, I want to do something, and I just want to invite you, if you're saying, Holy Spirit, fill me and send me to come up, and I, I would be honored to pray for you today. If that's you, you're saying, Holy Spirit, I need to be filled, I need to be baptized, I need to be renewed. I'm just going to invite you as the band plays, just come forward right now, and I want to pray for you up front. And as you come forward, just take a moment, begin to invite him, say, Holy Spirit, fill me, renew me. If you're unable to come forward, I want to encourage you. Maybe you're just physically unable to lift your hands. And if you're near someone, you can just begin to pray and minister over them as well. Begin to pray a renewal and a filling of the Holy Spirit. But if that's you and you're saying, Holy Spirit, fill me and send me, I, I will go. Here I am, send me, I will go. So I invite you, come forward right now. I want to pray for you, the Holy Spirit would fill you. If you're in this place, would you just reach your hands forward? We're going to pray together today. Or if you're near somebody who has their hands raised, you can just put your hands on them and pray for them as well. Holy Spirit, we pray right now in the name of Jesus. A baptism and a filling, whatever it might be, we pray right now, Holy Spirit, you would fall upon every believer. I pray you would fall upon these believers who say, here I am, send me. Send me into the places. Send me into my family. God, those gathered here today who would say, Holy Spirit, I need you to renew me. I need you to fall afresh on me. We pray a renewal in the name of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would fall afresh even at this moment. Wherever you are, just begin to invite him. Say, Holy Spirit, fall afresh on me. Renew me. Jesus, I give you everything. Renew me in this moment. Holy Spirit, Just take this moment, you and the Lord. Thank you for listening to the Banner Church Podcast. We hope this message was impactful for you. Check the episode notes to visit our website, follow us on social media, and subscribe to our podcast. We'll see you again next week.